1: Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget podcast. This is episode 26, The Sounds of Science. I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. I am back again this week. Uh, It's been kind of a rough few weeks for me. I keep getting sick and disappearing from the face of the earth for a while. But I'm back. I'm feeling better. Kind of, sort of. Good. (laughs) Um, Joining me this week, managing editor, Dana Wallman.
2: Hello. Um, It's also been a rough few weeks for me. (laughs) I am also um, somewhat better. Um, I have this just um, in case.
1: Yeah, you've been... In and out, and sick, and back and forth. Stifling
2: the, and coughs all over the yeah. place, yeah.
1: Basically, the whole in Gadget staff is dying.
2: Just don't go to CES. Yeah, it's pretty much
1: it. Uh, also joining me this
3: week is Nate Ingram,
1: uh, who is not dying
3: to Not die. at the moment.
1: That's because
2: Nate. you fell ill at CES. I was
3: sick for the first two weeks of the year, uh, but I think that's all behind me now. <laughs> and uh, unless I get it from sitting here with you guys, which is en- a distinct possibility. Entirely possible. Yeah. Um, this is also your first time back here in a while. You Last time I was here was the day after Trump's election, uh, and now we're here the week after his inauguration, so <laughs> it seems like I was draw the short straw on yep. uh, podcast duties, uh, RAP all of our mentions today, because it's going to get ugly. Yeah, I mean, basically, we only have you on to talk Trump.
1: Um... <laughs>
2: That's not true.
3: <laughs> I know nothing about technology, guys. It's yeah, all a farce.
1: Uh, and for those of you who want to know and maybe want to tune out, trigger We're going <laughs> to be talking Trump later, Trump and science. Um, so if you don't want to listen to it, uh, there's plenty of other podcasts out there. But actually, please stay around and listen. It's going to be a good <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, I prefer if you tell not people to not tune out. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a bad move on my part. Uh, we love you all. We want you to listen. Um, so, God, you know it's. I, I feel a little rough, but we're going to jump right into it. Let's get uh, into it. It's, I, I'm a little shaky out of practice here. Uh, let's start this show as we do most weeks yep. with Flame Wars. Yes. Uh, this is where we debate the biggest topics and stories of the weeks. Uh, of the weeks. <laughs> Once again, my brain is not working. All the weeks. All the weeks. Um, as I usually warn everybody, this is purely an intellectual exercise. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, nobody actually believes the things they're saying necessarily on here. Um, I believe some of them. Some of them. Everybody will get 20 seconds to make their opening statement, at which point uh, I'll allow a brief rebuttal and then award a point to the winner. Uh, I need to get my timer set up because I failed to do that beforehand because I am the worst. You
3: can't count this off in your head?
1: Um, no. I have my shoes on. It would be really difficult yeah. for me to count to 20. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start, Let's start. with Sprint. And Tidal. Oh, yeah. A thing that I can see Dana is clearly very excited to talk about.
2: I mean, I'm going to win this one. But yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. So for those of you who don't know, earlier this week, uh, Sprint purchased a 30 or 33% stake th- in third, t- they said. A yeah. third, yeah. Um, stake in Tidal, which is the streaming music service owned by Jay-Z and a host of other artists that literally nobody cares about except for the fact that it got the timed exclusive rights to Life of Pablo when it came out um otherwise i think
3: lemonade also they got lemonade first
1: oh i think you are right about that um so really sort of big picture question here though is you know what does sprint have to gain uh by making this purchase is this a big mistake for sprint in buying title uh dana you get to go
2: first Not much to gain right now. Um, Even if Sprint were to get some exclusives, some title exclusives for its subscribers, this would not move the the needle and push Sprint past its position as the fourth ranking carrier in the U.S. And I don't think title would give its best exclusives just to Sprint if that is the size of Sprint's audience.
3: I have a hard time uh, disagreeing with those statements. However, uh, before I start, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can you pull up what the purchase price was?
1: Sure. Sure. Let me see if we have that. Um, I'm actually not entirely sure that's been announced, but no? let me All double right. check. Um I according it
3: 200. to 200. According to
1: sources, the deal is worth $200 million, but it's not been yeah, confirmed right. as of the last time we saw.
3: That's that's good enough, though. All, All okay. right. Now I am ready. Thank you.
1: Doing your research for you here I live know, on crazy. the It's crazy. All right. Your 20 seconds begins now, sir.
3: Uh, I think that for Sprint, it at least gives them something to offer their subscribers. Hopefully some, like, discounts on it, maybe. That's not a bad thing if you're on Sprint. Um, And I think that also, it maybe isn't the smartest move, but at the price of $200 I think that's a relatively small drop in the bucket in terms of how much money Sprint is working with here. So they don't have a lot to lose. Maybe not a lot to gain, but not a lot to lose.
1: (sighs) Uh, so, so Dana, my question to you is, seeing as how a lot of these services are kind of, we're seeing this condensing of the media market, and I keep banging the table with my watch, <laughs> um, you know, AT&T has DirecTV and they're offering streaming, this is, you know, uh, a service on top of the actual, like, data, Sprint doesn't have that equivalent does it not make sense for them to try and at least pick up something in the media sphere, even if it's this, like, sort of third-tier music <laughs> streaming service as a way of offering their customers something beyond, like, a nice data package?
2: I mean, perhaps, but even here, right, you could still be a Title subscriber and subscribe to a different network. Title, for its yeah. part, is looking for all the new subscribers. They, they don't care yet. what network
3: they're on, yeah. Right.
2: Um... I think sort of to Nate's point, I think what Sprint could get out of this is um, a perception of hipness, perhaps. I mean, especially wrestling with T-Mobile as the um, third-ranking carrier in the U.S. Um, T-Mobile's ads are attention-getting. Its CEO, John Legere, is attention-getting. They seem adversarial and rebellious and cool. This is just all. This is all subjective, right? Um, <laughs> that's the I, image the, that
1: they're going for. Yeah, Sprint I, is none
2: of those things. I,
1: no. I might take issue with the cool part of that equation, but adversarial and rebellious for sure.
3: Well, and Sprint's yeah. best marketing tactic so far has been bringing back the Verizon guy. Like that's some pretty weak sauce. So, I think having title in their pocket is a lot better than you know saying, "Hey, we've got the can you hear me now guy."
2: Right. I mean, right now, Sprint is last ranking. That's a fact. No mm-hmm. one's gonna. We can't dispute. Um, but I think it also falls on the stodgy end of the spectrum. Um, Really no hipper than Verizon or AT&T.
1: Did Sprint lose all of their, like, hipness and street cred with the death of Nextel and The Chirp?
3: Was that, like, kind of it? (laughs) I don't think they ever really had much to begin with. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Okay, Nextel, but, like, yeah. (laughs) There were separate brands where Nextel was cool. Is it
2: Sprint right now whose advertising campaigns basically amount to... um, our network coverage is almost as good as Verizon's. Yes,
3: that is correct. Like, we're 98% of Verizon. We're,
2: like, 1% off Verizon right. or something. <laughs> um, that's the best they can do right now in yeah. terms of advertising. So if, if a title partnership, and I, I, I guess I'm arguing your side now, but not really. I know um, we should have
3: switched, apparently, because you're making some decent <laughs> points.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I still I, I stand by my other points. Yeah. But um, if that's currently the best they can do in terms of reaching people and convincing people to, to join Sprint... Um, saying our network is technically worse than Verizon's, but not that much worse. Maybe this gives them something else. Uh, the thing I was just on. thinking,
3: too, is um, it's gone. I can't <laughs> even argue my own point. Just the, oh, God, that's terrible. Oh, so with the new FCC commissioner, with net neutrality under fire, it's entirely possible that Sprint will start offering title uh, as it won't count against your data usage. Well, but and that. He- you know, as 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 crappy as that is for net neutrality, I could see how some customers might appreciate it.
1: But carriers already can do that, at least on the wireless side. I mean, T-Mobile right. does that, right? True. Um, and bel-
3: but they have to negotiate these deals with the uh, <coughs> with the varying various services. I'm sure, but yeah. Um, All right. Well, how do you want to rule this one? I mean, it goes to Dana. All I'm right. sorry. That's. Fine. <laughs> I went into this knowing I was going to be down a point. Now I just got to step it up a little. But I yeah. fought
2: for you too. You so. did well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Which which was kind of uh, works in Dana's favor because regardless
1: of which way I felt Dana won. Yeah. No, she, <laughs> she had made all the, the better answers. arguments for both sides.
3: <laughs> and I was even trying to do research on the air. Uh, <laughs> didn't help.
1: Um, so let's move on to our second story, which is Samsung. The Note Seven saga finally seems like it came to an end uh, this past I'd week. I'd say so. Um, hopefully. So, I yeah. mean, God knows there might be a few of them still floating out there somewhere waiting to I think we're mostly done
2: talking about the Note 7. Yeah. After this podcast. After I this
1: think. podcast. Um, yep. Which, you know, kind of brings me to the question here, which is, you know, is Samsung's apology for the Note 7 debacle enough and has it finally actually put this whole, like, battery gate thing behind it? Uh, Nate, we are going to start with you.
3: I'm going to say that they did a good job of the apology, a good job explaining what happened. But the next time they lose a phone, all everyone's going to do is write about how, oh, maybe it's going to blow up. Like, I think that it's going to really just be this talking point for people for at least another year, and that's going to just make it harder, I think, to convince people to buy it. Dana?
2: I don't actually disagree with what Nate said about the fact that um, people will... um, that Samsung has some work to do in restoring trust. But its apology this past week was at least thorough and humble.
3: Things that often cannot be said for Samsung. The humble part, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, the
1: humble part is something that can't be said of most companies, True. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, do you give them any sort of credit for that? And do you think that that does anything for them with consumers? Um, you know, if you put that up against, say, Apple when, you know, there was antenna gate, Apple was anything but humble, did not apologize, and essentially blamed their customers for problems with their <laughs> own
3: phone. Um, the only thing I'll say is that we're talking about, you know, slightly decreased performance versus phones that are literally exploding. So I think Samsung had no choice but to be as like, direct and humble as possible in this situation. There was no room for any sort of spin or playing with, uh, you know, how they presented that stuff.
2: What Which, to their credit, notes, they did that. Right. And I appreciated not just the explanation. And and to recap the facts, their explanation included um, not one, but two different battery problems. There was one specific to the original batch of phones and then a different problem entirely relating to the replacement phones mm-hmm. that were supposed Because they rushed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and now it seems they're reorganizing their operations somewhat to include a special team that does final crucial checks on these components. And on the one hand, you would have expected or hoped that companies had something in place like that to begin with, yep. but they do now, yeah. at least.
1: So so here's my question to you, Dana, which is, you know, they have some sort of quality control. I mean, every company does, mm-hmm. and it clearly failed multiple times, um, and multiple vendors failed <laughs> in providing Samsung with these parts. You know, Samsung, like most electronics companies, doesn't make everything that goes into their phones mm-hmm. or their laptops themselves. Um is it was this kind of enough to allay people's concerns do you think um you know is is there going to be lingering issues with wondering whether or not their quality assurance is up to snuff and wondering whether or not uh their new uh you know the the new component (laughs) makers are going to be able to do the create batteries and whatever else safely and you know all of these things
2: i think it remains to be seen somewhat um it was interesting that a few days after this press conference, Samsung released its most recent quarterly earnings, and they actually looked pretty good. I think yep. it was something like the biggest profit Samsung had seen in three years, or something wow. like that.
3: I knew it was good. I know it was that good.
2: But yeah. um, a lot of that money actually came from the sale of right. components to other companies, yeah. Yeah. and this was going on. Um, I'm sure these sales, these orders were placed. Um, Maybe way, ahead
3: of, way in advance. Right, I mean, possibly advance.
2: before this whole Note 7 thing unfolded. So I think it remains to be seen both how Samsung's mobile division does and how even its own component division does. I
3: think we're going to see just, like, how long of a memory do consumers have versus... I mean, the fact is, like, the Galaxy S7 was probably the best phone Samsung's ever made. The Note 7 was looking like it could be until this happened. Uh, will people remember?
2: I think, too... Um, I think one of the problems here, um, the battery life on the Note 7 was almost too good to be true, and- (laughs) It was too good to be true, It was, (laughs) and I mean, that's what happens when you try something um, like squeezing a too big battery into too small of a casing. And um, if anything, I wouldn't be surprised if Samsung aired next time on the side of safe. Mm -hmm. Um, A phone that doesn't blow up, but maybe isn't groundbreaking or exciting.
3: Yeah.
1: That's most phones though, right?
2: It's yes, a lot of phones.
1: It is, in fact. Like ninety-nine percent of phones are not groundbreaking or exciting. But that's also, but also don't part. explode. Yeah. Right. I mean, LG
2: <laughs> is rumored to be making its next phone less weird um, for totally no. different reasons besides. Um, because when they make weird phones, no nobody one buys, buys them. them. Yeah. Right.
1: Um I'm gonna give this one to Nate. I think
3: that was a pity vote right there. <laughs> no, it's like.
1: not. Here's here's what I'm gonna say is right. I think while I appreciate their apology, and I think they went further in their apology and their investigation than a lot of companies would, Um, and I give Samsung a lot of credit for that. Uh, I think ultimately consumers' memory is a lot longer than this like I don't think going out apologizing is going to end this story it's I don't, such
3: an easy thing for people to call back to oh it's the phone that blows up yeah. like there's no way it to take a long time to erase that sort of tagline from people's memories yeah I, guess.
1: I think it, it's, a, it's <clears throat> at this point it's very much a lot of wait and see and so it's, it's hard to say that it's finally kind of put this whole thing behind it um, and you know just sort of like an, an anecdote to the side of that is uh, somebody a uh, coworker of my wife Um, was recently in the market for a new phone and was always an Android user and ended up buying an iPhone because, and this is an issue with all Android phones, it's like a sort of an industry-wide problem, is she just associates all of them. They're all Mm Droid phones to Mm -hmm. her. And so she thought that all Android phones exploded. (laughs) And I'm wondering how widespread that is. Because I do know that a lot of people just like all Android phones are droid phones, quote yeah. unquote, in their heads. Like, they're all the same.
2: Well, that is one way in which Engadget in readers are different from yes. the general public.
1: Yes. Good on you guys. Yeah. Um, but, like, also remember our, our readership makes up a very small portion of the population in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> so I think we'll have to wait Dana face. Yep. Um, let's move on to our last story right. for Flame Wars. Um, and this one is going to go back to probably something you guys haven't heard of in a while, and that's yeah. Google Voice. Yeah,
3: still a thing. That is that is still a
1: thing. And you
2: guys thought we were going to talk about Trump this whole time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're giving you a, a full spectrum of nerdy yeah. topics. Yeah, here
2: we're going
1: to we're going st- to start with this. Um, so let's just like the let's just go straight for it. And yeah. Dana, we'll start with you. You can answer this one first, which is you know. Did Google let voice stagnate for way too long, and should it might as well be dead?
2: Oh, that's not the question I thought we were going to be answering today.
1: <laughs> you, All right, hang on, you. hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa,
3: whoa, whoa.
1: That is what it says here in the script is, has Google let voice stagnate for too long? Is the service as good as dead?
2: You are a sneaky blockhead, but okay, I'll answer the question. <laughs> <That> <laughs> is you want
1: to me listen. to go first? <laughs> the, let's go with Nate first, because you're going to argue that it is in fact dead. Wait, me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Correct. So I'm going to start your 20 seconds now. (laughs) Tell me why Google Voice is dead. Dana, you start forming your rebuttal.
3: Google Voice is dead because Google's communications and messaging services are all so confused and intertangled at this point that I don't know how refreshing one that they haven't touched in two or three years is going to make anything any better. They've got OWL, they've got Hangouts, now Voice is back. Uh, there's, it's just, it's such a mess that I don't see how voice can stand out at all.
1: Dana, you now have to figure out a way. Yeah, to. so I,
2: <laughs> I'm not, I can't answer answer the question of should it be dead, or I'm not answering that question, but right. it's it's clearly not dead. At it, it, Google, just <laughs> invested all of this developer re, so, uh, energy into uh, updating the design language, but also is clearly explicitly promising new features like better voicemail transcription. It's actually pretty rare for companies to talk explicitly about what's on their product roadmap. So it's not dead, even if you think it should be.
3: I'll agree that it's not dead. I was surprised to see it come back to life here. Um, But I think the problem is what compelling reason does someone who's never used Google Voice before have to try it now? Um, I'm sure that there are lots of of people who use it and are happy to see it get updated. But at this point, I can't... (laughs) I mean, like, you can do messaging in it now, which is great, I suppose. Um, I mean, you've always been able to send text messages with the added photo capabilities. They're trying to make it compatible with the next generation SMS, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, why would I use that over Hangouts or over Allo or over Duo or just making a phone call? It's just they need to simplify their products there and make it clear what the value proposition is. What's the support of these
2: products across um, Chromebooks, which I know you love? Ooh. Um, so you know, Skype doesn't really work well still.
3: on Yeah, Chromebooks. no. So you can do you can do calls through Hangouts on Chromebooks, and I'm pretty sure if you go to the Google Voice homepage, you can also make calls like just through the browser, regardless of what platform it's on. Mm.
1: So I even then, on a Chromebook, that, voice I, that I'm be not your... actually sure of. I might. I, um, I'm going to look at that right now while while we continue talking. I, I believe you can make what amount to Google Voice calls on voice from doc. Hangouts, but I don't know that you can actually make them from the if you go to voice.google.com that's what i'm looking yeah. at right now
3: looks like you've got the updated ui do you I use do? google
1: voice i do oh i mean right. i am an avid google voice user and have been since it was called grand central so this is like Ooh. a thing close near and well i'd to love my heart. to
3: hear your take on this then
1: as well um, <coughs> it does not look like you can make calls by the way from the web
3: that is you the, can send what send happens when te- you click the, the phone icon there you can
1: send a text message yep But the phone icon is just sending messages. It's just like a list of incoming and outgoing calls.
2: You see,
3: right now, what you're doing is you're you're arguing my side because this makes no sense.
2: I have a bigger complaint (laughs) there that that that's a missed opportunity for both the Google Voice team and the Skype team, which I think has been very slow. Yeah. On that count.
3: Hmm. I mean, you're right. I think you're right about you can do it through Hangouts. Yeah, you can definitely definitely do a number there, right? Yeah.
1: So, Dana, you know, you were saying that they've put all of this uh, developer effort into it. Um, My question kind of there is how much effort are they actually putting into it? I mean, because doing the UI overhaul honestly isn't necessarily that big of an investment in time and effort. A lot of this stuff is... It's worthwhile,
3: for sure. It's (laughs) worthwhile. But
1: a lot of this stuff is, like, pre-built. Because it's, you know, Google has a set of, like, UI building tools and themes and all that stuff. Like, a lot of the stuff is, like, just pre-designed buttons that they're throwing into a place in a interface that honestly isn't that different from the one they had before. It just has the new icons. <laughs> um, and the better voicemail transcription stuff isn't necessarily voice-specific. It's just like Google's voice recognition technology has gotten better, and plugging mm-hmm. that into their voicemail thing seems kind of like a no-brainer. Um,
2: it was them going on record about the upcoming features that
1: kind Um, of did it for you.
2: That did it for me. Um, They did
3: say that this was not just like the one-time facelift. Like they were going to, we should see other things happening with voice this year, which. And I say that
2: even, even from my experience Mm. at, Engadget gadget. gadget itself has a team of developers um, who are creating things to benefit you guys, the viewers and readers and listeners. Um, but would probably not go on record talking about what they have coming unless they were um,
3: really truly
1: invested. There in were zero
2: chance they'd flake on it. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, that said, Google does have a bit of a history of trying stuff out, canceling it, trying again. They're a lot more they're a lot more publicly experimental than most companies. I would say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, often to their detriment, perhaps. Right.
1: Uh, I'm going to give this one to Dana.
3: Oh, are you kidding me?
1: <laughs> that's because you love
3: Google Voice.
1: It, it's because
2: you're rusty. You should come on more frequently rusty. than every yeah. Three, yeah. three months. Well, I mean, even when I
3: was coming on more, I was getting spanked, so I don't know if that's going to help. <laughs> I do love Google Voice, though. So, Can I, you tell me why you... why you, I'd love to hear, A, why you like it, and B, why you side it with Dana. Um, <clears throat> so, A, why I like it is it's my work phone number. Mm-hmm.
1: So... Uh, I don't have, like, a desk phone at the office. I don't want to have to carry a second phone that's specifically for Engadget, and I don't want to hand out my personal cell phone number to people. So I have a work number, and that's... I mean, I've had it for a long time besides for work, but I use it for Engadget, and I don't answer it. Um, (laughs) It is specifically basically just, like, a voicemail service for, Mm. like, PR people. It's also the number I give out when, like... I sign up for things, because it's easy to like block spam and stuff, so I don't have to worry about people calling me at all hours of the night like to sell me shit. Um, the other thing is that it's because of that I feel safe giving that number out, so, like, uh, I recently set up Signal so that we could mm-hmm. do, uh, so that I could, like, accept, like, tips and stuff securely and leaks and whatever, which, by the way, if anybody out there, uh, and we'll talk about this more later, if anybody wants to send in gadget tips and leaks or specifically send that stuff to me, I'm on Signal. You can find my Google Voice number, which is associated <laughs> with my single Signal account, and you can send them to me securely. Uh, but that's, like, a thing, like, I have yeah. no issue putting my Google Voice number on my Twitter page, mm-hmm. like, because... It, you can just
3: shut it off if you don't want it.
1: Yeah, or, I have no issue with it. No. Um, my All right, wor- you're convincing me. My world would be kind of ruined if Google <laughs> Voice went down because uh, a lot of people have that number. And I've had
3: very it. little... Uh, I've never really minded handing out my personal number, to be honest, so <laughs> I guess that's the difference. I just don't pick up calls that I, I don't recognize I mean, if I don't want to.
1: here's the thing is I've had, like, my home phone number. Like, I still have, like, a landline, which Ooh. is probably weird for people. Um, for so long... That like so many companies have that number that I just straight up don't answer the phone anymore. <laughs> I might as yeah. it's it's I only use it to like make conference calls for work. That's all the only purpose it serves. Nice. Um. But yeah. Uh, all right. Point goes to Dana. Let's all move right. on. Yay. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on to group chat. This is where we talk about the biggest issues of the week, the biggest story of the week. Um, the the hugest the biggest story the biggest Bigliest. bigliest. Um, and guys it's the first week of the Trump presidency um, no way around it there's no way around this being the biggest story of the week yes. um,
2: he is getting to work making starting to make decisions about science and tech policy that yes. you may or may not agree with
3: yep among many many other troubling things
1: and i mean i'm i don't think i am out of line by speaking for all of us when i say we all disagree with it, yeah, uh, on <laughs> very much. Um, so I think the interesting thing here is that he's not making a ton of like really serious policy decisions yet. Mostly, no. what he's doing, it seems like, is trying to rein in a lot of these uh, research organizations and stuff.
2: That's on the science side. We'll talk too about his FCC appointment, which I think does amount to policy decisions. So why
1: don't, we, why don't we actually start with the FCC yeah. thing, Dana? Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Um, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, basically his, his FCC appointee is um, a known opponent of net neutrality. So basically to appoint him is tantamount to making policy decisions. Um, doesn't mean any laws or policies have changed yet, but it's a pretty clear sign of where we're headed.
3: Yeah, I believe that uh, in December he co-authored a paper for the FCC uh, detailing why he does not believe in net neutrality and why the agency is, in a blanket statement here, going to be going more uh, friendly to companies. And the byproduct part of that is that they will be less friendly to consumers in all likelihood, I would say.
2: And to be clear, too, when he was appointed this week, basically every telecom issued a press release.
1: We should name this person, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, it is. I'm probably going to screw up his name, and I feel really bad, and I apologize for that. But is it, uh, Ajit Pai? Yep. I believe. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I apologize if I'm not. Um, I'm the worst at pronouncing things
3: in general. Um, he's been at the FCC for a good four years already. He was appointed under Obama um, as a Republican commissioner. You know to balance things out there, uh, but yeah, he's he's always been pretty clear. And every
2: about. telecom shared his appointment. Yes. This week, which, which says a lot. To be
3: fair,
1: most telecoms also cheered the appointment of Tom Wheeler. Yeah. I mean, he was very much an industry insider. Mm-hmm. He was very much a uh, friend of the telecommunication industry. He worked in the telecommunications industry. Um, he was not, like, a consumer
3: advocate in the sure. previous life. And even if he was, they probably would have just sent some sort of milk toast PR saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah.
2: And Tom Wheeler- Wheeler's legacy in net neutrality is fair to say mixed
3: yeah yeah um i think early
1: on he was definitely hesitant to push as hard on net neutrality as you know we probably think he should have um and i mean even by the end when we got some really like solid rules around like title II and the regulation of the internet and stuff like that there's still like a lot of pretty big loopholes uh, that's a gray area especially on the wireless end which is why we have things like... Uh, Binge on. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, you know, it's... it's I don't know. It's it, it's sort of a weird thing, because I don't want to judge him too harshly, because I think uh, Tom Wheeler surprised a lot of us mm-hmm. who were paying attention. He surprised mm-hmm. me, I know. Um, when he was named, I went, well, there's no chance in hell we're getting net neutrality <laughs> now. Like, that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um And especially after the first plan came out, and I think it was very underwhelming for a lot of people who were proponents of net neutrality. Uh, But
3: they seem to take the criticism to heart and improve it, I would say.
1: So another question is, does the Trump administration and the new FCC chairman take that sort of criticism and the public uh, desire for net neutrality to heart?
3: I would go with no, because Trump is so clearly pro-business that... I think that's just going to be the default position and anything contrary to that.
2: That's what I would have said. I don't think he is specifically that strongly anti-net neutrality. I don't don't think it's a pet issue of his, but I think he is indeed pro-business.
3: He
1: is pro-business. I mean, he's... Donald Trump has spoken very little about net neutrality Mm -hmm. in general. Um, What little he has said about net neutrality, um, I will say, you know, shows that he doesn't understand the issue. Um, And I'm not saying that to be, like, flippant or dismissive of him. I mean, you know, I'm clearly not a fan of his in general, but this is his statements about net neutrality reflect minimal understanding of the issue. He's compared it to the fairness doctrine, and the two things are in no way related whatsoever. Um, So it's kind of hard to pinpoint where he's at personally on it, um, if only because while he's been very openly against, he also hasn't really clearly stated why, at least in any sort of reasonable terms.
3: So we kind of have to go on. Well, what I imagine is that the FCC will just kind of push the rulings forward and he'll probably just go with them. I don't think he's going to care enough to invest any attention in the issue.
1: Probably right? not. Um, you know, I, I I get the the feeling that what you're looking at is an undoing of net neutrality just because I think it's the sort of thing where Trump feels like it's an easy point to score with the Republican establishment Mm -hmm. who tend to be very Mm -hmm. pro-business. And this is probably getting a little bit off topic and so we'll avoid going too far down this rabbit hole. But I think uh, if you look at Trump as a candidate and as a president, he holds a lot of beliefs and is pushing a lot of policies that are kind of anthema to traditional Republican values. And so he kind of has to, like,
3: you know... Slide a few things yeah, in Yeah, he's got to,
1: like, throw yeah. a couple of bones their way right. and be like, you know, you don't want net neutrality? That's fine. We don't have to have net neutrality. But I want big infrastructure spending like and stuff like that. And so he's going to kind of figure out ways to do to wheel and deal. Yeah. And this um, seems like an
3: easy card to play. Yeah. Because he doesn't care about it. So just, you know, do it will make him happy any other thoughts on that dana
2: no i basically agree i mean i'm willing to be surprised yeah. um but expect him to err on the side of fewer regulations yeah the good news more. is that
3: i think it'll take some time uh at the very least and i think this kind of goes uh, back to like what has happened this week there's been a lot of like laying groundwork for stuff to change but i think not a lot has actually changed which is at least somewhat heartening right um eventually you know he can issue all these executive orders and appoint people but at some point it's going to get down to dealing with the rest of the government and that's when things will slow down. And this, I think changing net neutrality is one of the things that'll at least take a little bit of work to, you know, get done.
1: Yeah. Um, so the other big storyline this week in his first week has been uh, this sort of stuff about like gag orders put on certain agencies or departments of the agencies, uh, in particular, the EPA, uh, National Park, the National Park Service, the, USDA, but not the entire USDA. It was specifically the Agricultural Research Mm -hmm. Service, I believe. Yeah. And certain sub-departments in the uh, Health and Human Services, right? Am I I correct Mm, on all these I don't know about
3: the last one.
2: That doesn't ring as familiar. Hang on, let me double-check this.
1: But the
3: overarching theme seems to definitely be um, an attack on science-related parts of the government. That's how I would categorize it anyway.
1: Okay, so what do you got? Uh, well, I was going to say, talk a little bit about that. So, sort of, yeah. like lay out that argument for me. Well,
3: so Trump has been very anti-EPA for a while, and he said he wants to do some major reform in the EPA. So he started off the presidency by uh, putting a freeze on grants and contracts. And while that's not totally unprecedented, it, I think it was a little more of an aggressive move than has been made in the past, usually. Um, you know, every time a new administration comes along, they want to kind of put the brakes on things and figure out what's what work is being done before they move forward with it uh but going along with that has been like a gag order on the epa and the other agencies you mentioned that like no press releases no social media um and that's kind of troubling because these are government agencies that our tax dollars are paying for who are being told not to communicate with the public Uh, so that is a problem and the fact that it's very specifically science related climate change related is troubling. They're basically saying, we don't want you guys putting out this propaganda about climate change being a thing because we want to destroy the environment with our pro-business plans. Basically, I mean, that's what on on the Trump's uh, website, or on the White House website this week, as the transition happened, they removed all the pages relating to climate change, which, again, I think people are overstating the impact of that. You know, it's a totally new website. Some things are not making the transition to the new site. But if they cared about climate change, they would have a page about it. They do not. Um, that sends a message. All this stuff is sending messages about what's important in this And all this
2: website stuff, I don't think, in general, by the way, I don't think are accidents. I don't, no. also don't think it's an accident that the Spanish language option was removed from the website. That no. was also symbolic yes. and meaningful.
3: Yes, it's all its all very much like you can look at all these actions happening and say this is shows what the priority is, even if it's not necessarily enacting a new policy yet, right? Mm-hmm. That's how I would categorize it. So, I mean, I think there there is certain
1: st- stuff about this that is troubling. Um, but I've been thinking about a lot about this the last couple of days, and I, I the hopeful part of me, like the optimistic part of me, <laughs> has like, and yeah, wait, really, there is an optimistic is. part of you. Okay, um, there that has come come to the idea that there's two uh, ways of looking at this that suggest that it's not necessarily as malicious as uh it might seem it might seem so one of these i think one of these ways of looking at it i think is part of what you were saying before is that you know like not everything's going to make the transition um i think this is the first transition of power from president to president in like mm-hmm. the truly digital age that's true um and it's been very messy on all levels <laughs> yeah um, You know they couldn't even get the Twitter account handover for
3: at POTUS right at first. So I'm going to say, actually, that I'm surprised they got it done as well as they did, to be perfectly honest. The fact that they were able to take everything that was on POTUS and transfer it to to a new account, the fact that that worked seamlessly at noon that day, I mean, the fact that the transferring of that content worked was pretty surprising to me. The follower stuff, I can almost see why that was weird. But anyway, I'm just throwing out a a word of support for Twitter there. I think they did a decent job. No, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a complete debacle, but it was (laughs) also not
1: super smooth. True. Um, And I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of issues like that. You're going to see these sort of like bits and pieces that aren't working the way they should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also abundantly clear that Trump and his transition team uh, are not stocked up the way they should be. Um, I'd have to go double check what the number is on this, uh, but if you go back, but if you go, uh, I'm a big fan of the Weeds uh, Vox podcast, which is all about like policy and stuff, and they were talking the name about of the podcast is the Weeds. It's called the Weeds. Nice. Um, I suggest I suggest people listen to it. It's a very good show, um, and they kind of get into like the nitty gritty of pol- of policy and running the government and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and they were they were speaking about sort of the way the transition has been handled so far, and basically the number of, like, appointees, presidential appointees that you're supposed to have running in is somewhere around the range. Of, like, there's, like...
3: Some thousands, right? Not oh, thousands, but there's,
1: but there's hundreds of positions that need to be filled by presidential appointment. And generally, by the time the inauguration comes around, most of those people are named and, like, ready to go, even if they have to go through confirmation. Like, stuff is laid the groundwork, and the Trump transition team has, like, less than half of what the other administrations mm-hmm. yeah. have had coming in. Um,
3: so they're operating at a deficit. They're operating at a deficit. In terms of manpower, really. In terms
1: of manpower and getting a lot of these agencies uh, under control. I think they were not prepared for uh, things like the fact that the government has however many dozens, probably hundreds of Twitter accounts mm-hmm. yeah. run by all of these people and... Um, and sort of getting them in line and getting on message has proven extremely <laughs> difficult.
3: Yeah, that hence being, the freeze. Hence the freeze. Like free. We need some time to figure out what the heck we're doing here. So
1: which, just stop. Which I think uh, can seem more malicious than it is in reality. I think, uh, to a certain extent, we are probably projecting a little bit because we yeah. obviously don't like him.
3: And the word is that the EPA freeze will be lifted um, possibly as soon as uh, Friday, which is when you guys are watching this. Yeah. So, it could happen today.
1: So, it's, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would say to counter that is, I saw the other day, I think it was the Department of Defense Twitter even seemed to be subtweeting Trump. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, there's...
2: <laughs> it was basically um, yeah. tweeting thanks to um, a Muslim...
1: Refugee,
2: right? Which which seemed, <laughs> excuse me.
1: Like we said, woman is dying. Yeah. we are all dying.
2: And, and yes, I mean, just for the, the viewers at home, yes, I did just get on the floor to pick up a tissue <laughs> that I dropped, and yes, I'm about to wipe my nose with it. So just Slow give clap. me some slack, Slow okay?
1: Clap. We'll we'll point the camera away from you while yeah. that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there's been a whole lot of sort of subtweeting the president from a number of the agencies, including well, f- the Department of Defense. But I don't f- see
2: a gag on the Department of Defense right. Twitter account. I
3: want to say forget about subtweeting. The Badlands National Park just went <laughs> full on like YOLO and started tweeting out a whole bunch of climate change facts. I think that was on Friday. And I want so to say, the, or Monday. the
2: the claim after that was that it was a former employee who still had access to the accounts. Mm-hmm. Which how is that possible? Yeah. I think it goes
3: to what Terrence was saying about the lack of preparation and transition there. Yeah, I mean, there's a... Uh, it just seems like a lot of this might just be
1: poorly handling the transition.
3: So people are getting in their jabs where they can.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I'm hesitant to say necessarily that this is like the beginning of widespread government censorship. Um, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but I'm trying, I'm trying to be uh, a little bit less pessimistic. That's, I think that's pro-
2: generous of you considering this is the week that the phrase alternative facts. I was about to say I think you're, you
3: have a point except that when we look at the way that the White House has been treating truth, it doesn't paint a good picture. On its own, perhaps we could just say this is poor transitional stuff, but when you take into account the fact that uh, yeah, facts seem to have no place in the administration to a large degree. Yeah. So I want to come back to that.
1: I bet Let's, you do. Well, we, we will, I have some things to say about that. Uh, I always have things to say. God, I never shut up, do I?
2: I mean, um, that, that's good energy to have.
1: Yeah. Um, so before we jo- move on to that, though, yeah. I did want to say the other sort of way of looking at this, the other sort of piece of this, and this is going back to what we were talking about earlier, is Donald Trump kind of sees himself as, a, and this is a slightly more malicious take, and I think this <laughs> is also probably slight, somewhat true, Which is Donald Trump sees himself as like a wheeler and dealer kind of guy, a negotiator kind of guy. And like one really basic uh, negotiation tactic is to like go out and like ask for the world and then roll it back. So it's really easy to just go out there and go, everybody shut up, no communication with the public. And the moment there's an uproar, well, all right, fine, you can talk to the public. And then everybody goes, oh, see, it's not that bad. He Mm -hmm. let, he let, the Agricultural Research Service talked to the
3: public <laughs> because that's the one of the uh, These tom- agencies that mattered. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Be- before we move on from environmental stuff altogether, I think we also need to mention the Keystone and Dakota Access Pipeline executive order, yes. which is that those are back on the table for construction. Um, and again, uh, the New York Times kind of said that this was uh, to some extent a symbolic thing more than a major, something that's going to affect major change, but uh, Obama fought to uh, restrict the Keystone XL pipeline uh, in 2015. And, you know, now as soon as Trump is in office, he reverses that. Again, it, it's it's broadcasting what his priorities are going to be. Environment low on that list.
1: By the way, I did have to look up this Department of Defense tweet because I did can remember find exactly what it was. And it's still there. It has not been deleted, by the way.
3: Well, to that point, you're not supposed to delete these tweets from government-owned yeah. uh, accounts because they're supposed to be Stored under the Freedom of Information Act.
1: So, for those who, who don't know, this was sent out pretty much at the exact same time that Donald Trump was signing the executive orders uh, around immigration and cutting back on resettling refugees. That in the was United yesterday, States. right? Yeah. Or Wednesday, I should say. As that was being signed, basically, the Department of Defense sent out a tweet that read from refugee to hashtag Marine, U.S. Marine. Corporal Ali J. Muhammad takes the fight to the doorstep of those who cast his family out. Like, that is in, like, pretty directly uh, a spit in the face of the executive order being signed as this was going on. By the way, if
2: you could use your time machine and go back (laughs) uh, 20 years to talk to your younger self, how would you explain the sentence, the government is subtweeting itself?
1: Ooh. Um, I mean, you wouldn't be able to because tweeting did not exist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very—it's such a weird thing to be yeah. watching. Um, like, yeah, I mean, just think about that for a second. The, the American government is subtweeting. It's fighting with itself, itself on the internet. Yeah. It's such a bizarre thing to watch. It's very, very weird. Which I mean, also again. Makes sense for some of the gag, artists, it's like, guys, you gotta stop this. Like everybody's got to right. get on the same page. Right. We have to like at least agree on a certain set of like decorum and what we can can't. Like, look again, we're not gonna troll ourselves. Yeah, as <laughs> Except, as, as much know. as I clearly have my political differences with, uh, you know, the president. I also think that maybe the Defense Department should not be openly hostile to him on Twitter. Like, that's kind of a bad
3: thing. There's enough real trouble in the world that we need to deal with, so let's not infight. Well, it's not even about infighting. Um,
1: If Donald Trump and his administration are actively trying to suppress information about climate change, if they're trying to suppress data from NASA... Leaking that information to journalists is valuable. Subtweeting is not. Flippant tweets, while amusing to me as a person, don't necessarily perform that much of a service. Mm-hmm. Except to make my- people
3: more annoyed.
1: Yeah, I mean, which is kind of my issue. It's, you know, it, again, I appreciate it. It's nice. I get a chuckle out of it. But is it doing some great good? I don't know about that. It's a stretch.
3: Yeah. I do think that the deletion of any of these tweets, though, is really something to pay attention to, because not mm. supposed to do that, and the official POTUS account has already removed several tweets, only because of typos, so not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Slippery but slope. Yeah, exactly. They're just not supposed to do that, so, and they're doing it. So, he, well, here's the thing, is the rules around that aren't
1: necessarily... Uh, these things need to be updated to be clear aren't necessarily mm-hmm. that you can't delete them okay they just need to be archived someplace gotcha so if they delete the tweets so long as a record of that tweet exists someplace that can be provided under okay. like a freedom of information act request mm-hmm. then that's in compliance with the law
3: all right once again try explaining this to ourselves 20 years yeah. ago
1: <laughs> but again this is also why I, a lot of these rules need to be updated as right. well um, so I don't know
3: uh, Do we want to talk about uh, the 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 media sort of mess that you you're, you're on to refer to the uh, restrictions under what people can say? I think you you said there was one more thing you really wanted to get into, like sink your teeth into it.
1: God, I don't even remember at this point. My brain is not working today. Apparently, yeah. that
2: happened very suddenly. It really yeah.
1: did. Um. I mean, I we've touched upon the main things here. In we terms have. Of, uh, I mean, oh. So I remember what we were supposed (laughs) to talk about, which was the alternate facts. Alternative Alternative facts. So I don't want to dig too much into this. Uh, If I'm honest, I think there's a whole lot to be said there. And a lot lot of it doesn't necessarily uh, have anything to do with technology or science. So I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole. You know, I understand that we are a technology and science website and try to keep it at least somewhat on topic. (laughs) Uh, But the one thing I will say that makes that phrase and sort of the first week of this administration a little bit troubling is how the concept of alternative facts could be um, levied against things like scientific research, how that
3: would play at the EPA. Um, and I mean, this, this well, Yesterday is, there was that news about how all the EPA stuff has to go through uh, political yeah. review first. And again, I think that's one of those things where... It's uh, it's something that happened under previous administrations, but it's something that's going to be amplified now.
1: Yeah. So, and I think, you know, and this goes across um, governmental agencies. It doesn't begin and end with the EPA or the or NASA or anything like that. Um, there's a lot of ways that that sort of thing could be abused. Um, it, a lot of it's going to have to come down to I think maintaining all of that research available to the public. Like the public needs to have access to the raw data from the EPA or yeah. from NASA. Um, and NASA's always been good about making that available um, you can actually go through all of NASA's publicly funded research I believe uh, it was actually the story was circulating yesterday again although the portal is very old <laughs> for whatever reason um, the The issue I think is going to come from how those facts are interpreted by the administration and, and that's sort of
3: publicly given to the public like yeah. the way that they make these statements
1: Um And I think that's gonna be where the biggest problem lies is in sort of making sure that people understand there is no such thing as alternative facts. There are facts, and then there are lies, and that's kind of the end of the debate.
2: And if there are alternative facts, where do things like data
1: fit fit in? in. Yeah, like facts and data are the same thing. They are true no matter how much you don't want to believe them. Um, You You can can spin it all you want. (laughs) But at the end of the day, the data kind of speaks for itself. and so that's going to be sort of the interesting challenge, I think, for journalists going forward, especially in science, and uh, you know, to a slightly lesser degree in technology, but also there too.
3: Well, and for the public digesting this stuff, yeah, knowing where they should be. Well, the fact that it sounds like the White House press room is like state-run media, basically, <laughs> because they're going to present us with alternative facts. So, you have to know where to go to get the other facts, I guess.
2: As for Sean Spicer himself, as we were beginning the recording of this (laughs) podcast, he tweeted out a string of letters and numbers that could have been a password. (laughs) could have also just been butt-tweeting.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with butt-tweeting, because it's not the first time he's done that in the last couple of days. He did it, like, yesterday, too.
2: By the time we record our next podcast a week from now, we should know the answer.
1: I hope so. (laughs) But yes. Somebody, clearly it was a password of some kind, and, oh, you know what we did not talk, we don't have (laughs) time to talk about this now. We're just, we're going to move on. Uh, what is it? Give us a tease. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the private email soldiers. <laughs> oh,
2: my God. <laughs> that would have been relevant.
1: It would have been. I was yeah. I was so focused on the <sighs> the science gag orders and stuff that I forgot about that.
2: You got excited, I know.
1: I did. Um, I will say this before we go. Uh, there, I- It's very early in the stages of planning a scientist march on D.C. now. Yes. Uh, as a follow-up, we will be bringing you more information about that as we learn it. It's going to be sort of interesting to see what the turnout for that is like. Um, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be anywhere near the size of the Women's March, but hopefully, solid, strong turnout for guys in, you know, white lab coats.
2: And I hope <laughs> that their signs are as clever as the ones at the Women's Marches. They have, they have a, a big bar to clear there. Mm, high
1: yeah. bar. I'm, I'm going to go with probably not. There's going to be a lot of bad science puns, and yeah. we all know how much you hate puns.
2: I hate puns. Except <laughs> when I not. think we need to
3: send a reporter down there and just get all the signs. I think so too. Yeah, well, that's what Twitter's for, I suppose. Yep. Uh,
1: All
2: right.
1: Dana, any last thoughts before we call this?
2: No, I've still got a walloper of a, a sneeze up there, <laughs> so I'd rather not do it into the mic. You can possible. get off the air before yeah. you actually get that sneeze yeah. out.
1: I'm going to see if I can drag this out long enough so that you actually oh, do oh it on no. the air.
2: <laughs> Listeners at home, you really don't want to hear my sneeze. It's
1: I, I think they might. <laughs> no. Uh, where can the fine people find you on the internet?
2: I am Dana Wallman with No Space.
1: Nate, any final thoughts?
3: Uh, I will say that I went to one of the women's marches this weekend, and it was very—it was the the lone bright point in a week of hard news. And so, support to all the people who made that happen, all the organizers. And um, <laughs> there's going to be more coming, so that should be good times.
1: And where can find people? Find you?
3: I'm on the twitters at Nate Ingram, no space.
1: Uh, I am at Terrence O'Brien, lots of e's, no a's. Uh, Please hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think, what you want to no, hear on the stay show. Stay out of my mentions, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Slide into DMs, whatever no. you got to do. You can hit me up on Twitter. Leave poor Dana alone. Yeah. Uh, let me know what you think of the show, what you want to hear, what you want to see, all of that stuff. You can also get us uh, podcast at engadget.com or uh, just hit us at engadget podcast on Twitter. You know, if you have questions, <laughs> comments, anything like that, we want to hear it. Um, Make sure to subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Rate us on iTunes, all of that stuff. That helps more people find the show, and obviously we want people to listen to the show as much as I said maybe you should tune out at the beginning (laughs) of it. That's clearly bad advice. Uh, We do not have a comment of the week for you this week uh, because... You're all grounded. You would have
2: chosen Aaron on our staff. Honestly,
1: the best comment we had of the week came from our own employee, and that just felt like cheating. So yeah, thanks for watching, and we will see you next week.
3: Later.